everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Three Technique College Football Podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmies and the Joes. We're thrilled to be joined today by Luke Winstell of Clemson Sports Talk, uh, NFL draft coverage, college football content, and in this episode, the Senior Bowl. You guys know he's a friend of the podcast, has been for a couple of years now, and uh, is one of my favorite interviews each and every time. Uh, I've interviewed a lot of guests over the last several years, um, and he is by far one of the most insightful, one of the most thoughtful. And uh, so we have him on for some Senior Bowl coverage. He was down in Mobile breaking it down. And uh, without any further ado, let's get into the interview that Trey and I conducted with Luke Winstell over the Senior Bowl. One man. Goodbye! Hello, Heisman! 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45, there goes Davis! Oh my god! Davis is going to run it all the way back! Auburn's going to win the football game! They get it to Roger. They get it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. All the band is out on the field! He's going to go into the end zone! Four-man Alabama rush. Got him. No, they didn't. Oh my gracious. Yep. How about that? All right, well, Luke, it's so good to have you back on, man. A friend of the podcast covering all things uh, college football, senior bowl, NFL draft for Clemson sports. You were just in Mobile, and uh, I knew as soon as you started posting from the senior bowl that we had to get you on. How many years uh, in a row now is this for you? Year three. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's. I was gonna say. I feel like. Feel like you had. I. I feel like I found you. Actually, I started following you through your Senior Bowl content years ago. So, man, uh, I, I'm. I'm thrilled to talk with you again. Uh, obviously, this is one of my favorite episodes that we get to do uh, now in year three of our podcast, covering the draft, kicking things off, Senior Bowl recap, draft primer. I've done enough talking already. Like, give me, give me your initial impression from from year three of the Senior Bowl. What was it like? Yeah, first off, Mitch, Trey, thank you both for having me. Honored to be with you as always. And really, for me, the Senior Bowl was one that was really talented, exceptionally compared to previous years. And you take a look at now the NFL's allowed juniors to come into these events, so it's allowed us to evaluate even more players, get eyes on people. So. Now in the evaluation process, there's even less of a gap. It's now you get this extra chance to see even more talented guys compete against each other. So to get specific with you, the quarterbacks were always going to be the flashy part of this, whether you talk about the game or not during practice week, having these guys come out and practice all throughout the week of Penix and Nix and Hartman all on one team and getting to watch them go up against each other and Seeing Bo Nix get off to a slow start, maybe a better finish, but it's something I'm sure we'll talk a little more about. And Michael Penix, to me, is still a really good player, but not wowing me as much. So I'm kind of sitting maybe into the first round grade. If I just, if I'm in the top 10 of this draft, I'm not sure I quite feel comfortable with him. Top 15, I'm not there yet personally. But toward the end of the draft, I, okay, I could get it. He's that talented, that successful. So the national team quarterbacks were a big part of the story, and I look at the receivers in this. I think part of the reason when you look at, if you're looking to improve your draft stock, last year's senior bowl, the quarterback group was not very good. This year, I think part of the reason we had such a good receiver group is receivers and their agents and people around them were saying, hey, you know, if this is who's throwing to us, we've got to go. We've got to go and see. So we had 
maybe 11 or 12 guys that could be top 100 picks at the receiver position between the two teams. And to me, like, yeah, quarterback, everyone in the media is crazy about looking at quarterbacks, talking to quarterbacks, but receiver was the position personally that I said, like, this is the one I've got to cover better than anybody else because I think this is where we get guys like last year, Michael Wilson, Jaden Reed, Puka Nakua, those were all senior bowl guys, and this year's field is even better. We'll see if it translates. So that was the thing I looked at. You know, DB group was pretty good in response to receivers being good, but that to me was the strength of this when you look at the flashy positions. Of course, O-line was good. Linebacker, running back were thin. But when you look at the field, to me, it was quarterback and receiver. DBs were pretty good. Linebacker, running back, kind of thin. And then O-line, D-line was pretty much as always. There's going to be a lot of good players in the trenches at the Senior Bowl and got to see a good bit of that action in one-on-ones as well. Luke, you mentioned, you know, those talented guys that were in the Senior Bowl last year. And I saw a tweet. I wish I could credit it right now. But the top six rookie wide receivers from a production standpoint, I believe this year were all senior bowl guys last year. And when you see that, when these guys see that, does it make it just that much more of a priority for more and more of these talents and maybe like guys that were borderline on deciding to go to the senior bowl in the past, does that just give them more incentive to show up in mobile? I'm not an agent, but I try my best to think from an agent perspective. So think about it this way of if you're a receiver or if you're representing a good receiver, what are the drills at the senior bowl? And then what are the drills that get covered? What are the drills the scouts are watching the closest? And I've noticed that, and you see it, it's the stadium in Mobile, Hancock Whitney, where South Alabama plays. People are spread out all along the field. And then we get to one-on-ones, everyone migrates down to the corner and that becomes the main event. And that's where people are the most vocal. That's where fans, there's not always a ton of fans there, but the fans that are there get, you know, the most vocal. That's where you get reactions of the like, Oh man, you know, and you hear audible reactions from people. That's where the emotions start to come into a practice like this. And it can be a little weird for people that are not into the draft side. Even for me, a couple of years ago at my first senior bowl, everyone said, you know, Hey, uh, Hey rookie, just so you know, the practices are what matters the game. Not really. Mm -hmm. So once you wrap your head around that and then you see it and you see it unfold, then you say, what part of practice? You know, individual drills, no, you know, whatever. Like scouts probably care, but that's not big for us. And then you start looking at, okay, one-on-ones. So if you're a big-time receiver, you've got a shot to show what you can do with these high-level quarterbacks and one-on-ones. That's what everyone's going to care about. Seven-on-sevens are good. They're pretty important. It's a part of practice. But the one-on-ones at the end especially are the key. And to me, if I'm representing a receiver – you know your receiver can win a one-on-one, even if, you know, let's say you got Ricky Pearsall. You say, oh, yeah, we're definitely going to put him there one-on-one. Like, that's a great chance for him to show what he can do. He won those battles in college. He'll get to play even better guys. So if he does win, the stock goes up even higher. So for guys that are in that mid-round range, like a lot of these guys I mentioned being top 100 or more toward the bottom of it, maybe a third-round type of grade. So this was their shot to move up around maybe or be like a – Christian Watson a couple of years ago and moved to the end of the first, maybe early thirties. So yeah, when I look at the receiver position, you have a chance to really showcase your strengths. You are on not just a high stage, but you are on the center stage at the senior bowl for practice. So I think that's a big reason of why they do it. And then when you look at evaluators of you've got 
for example, if you're the Georgia defensive backs, Javon Bullard, Tyke Smith, they both won awards this week. So you say, okay, here's your shot to go one-on-one, beat these guys who are being voted by their peers as the top you know, player on their team, top DB on their team, defensive MVP, for example, like those guys won. And, and that's your shot. So to me, I look at that and say, yeah, it's absolutely where I'd be sending my receivers if they, you know, not Marvin Harrison Jr., but guys that are graded maybe 50 to 100. And I think it's a an event that's set up for them to have a shot to really show their stuff, really do well, and really improve their stock and do it in front of a lot of people. I think it's a fascinating evolution that the Senior Bowl has has undergone. Right now, you've got the hashtag, the draft starts in Mobile. Initially, I was like, oh, that's a cute branding slogan. But now, I mean, it really feels like the draft truly starts in, in Mobile. I mean, I think we're a step above draft casuals. Uh, obviously, we cover college football every single year and have that mindset, okay, yeah, this is, you know, when when I evaluate a player, okay, here are the traits that I think will play at the next level. Uh, but for the vast majority of football fans, it truly feels like everyone kind of comes together and all of a sudden everyone has an opinion on a Jackson Powers Johnson. Everyone has an opinion yeah. on, you know, a Michael Penix. If he's a, a first round quarterback, I was talking with you before we hit record. I heard uh, network podcasts, network hosts throwing around fourth round grades on guys like Bo Nix and, and Michael Penix Jr. So, you know, we're going to get to all of that. We, we've got today's episode broken up into uh, three main categories. First, going through some headliners, uh, guys that stole the the stage, if you will, in Mobile that you felt like really set themselves up uh, to, to take a big jump. We've got Banker Tank, those guys that raised their stock, made some money perhaps this week. Others that, well, we'll see. Maybe they had a rough week. They've got to do some, some PR work uh, to get back up on top. And then really quickly kind of want to run down the draft order with you. Maybe look at some position groups. Quarterback is obviously going to be chief among those. Where do you see a, a run on wide receivers going? So we'll get to all of that and uh, and much more here in this episode. Before we hit the headliners, of course, have to uh, thank Homefield Apparel and Baller Pickleball for their sponsorships of the three technique. They uh, help us um, keep this show rolling each and every week. If you're not subscribed, head on over to our Instagram, our Twitter, our YouTube, or on Spotify and Apple at 3TechPod on all of those platforms. Luke, without further ado, uh, there are a number of names that just continue to pop up in my feed. And as someone who was not mobile, uh, but obviously consumes quite a bit of draft content, it seems like the conversation really starts with Jackson Powers Johnson, the center out of Oregon. He's played all of the offensive line positions. He seems like maybe the most versatile man in the trenches in quite some time in this draft. What did you see from the Oregon man who does not have a ton of starting experience, but boy, physically seemed to really impress? Yeah, that was one to me when you look at some of the practices, Oregon players really stood out. This was a bit of a common theme for me of, yes, you've got O-line, Powers Johnson, Super physical is one that I love watching the matchups with these guys because you look at some of the position groups, like, for example, national team. I keep my little notebook here with me because there's so many players. I try to keep it all straight here. Um, So some of the guys he was going against were players that I was looking at. So Tyler Davis from Clemson, for example, uh, would have been on the national team – or sorry, 
Hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the national team against Paris Johnson. So that was one where, you know, I'm looking at, okay, Tyler Davis, what's he going to do? I've seen him. He looks maybe like a top 130 type of pick. And Brandon Dorless from Oregon's another player that I thought really stood out. So when I talk about Oregon guys standing out, Powers Johnson on one side, Dorless on the other. Uh, Dwayne Carter from Duke, I think, did some good things for his stock by being out there. He was a bit of a fan favorite, media favorite type of guy. So Michael Hall from Ohio State, these are, these are the guys you had going up against Powers Johnson. So when you look at a lot of those guys, I mean, really two of them to me are top 100s, Carter from Duke and Dorless from Oregon. And then the rest of the guys kind of maybe day three looking types of picks. So I always like to start with who they go against. And then with Powers Johnson, it seemed like it didn't really matter who he went against. Being an interior guy, he was able to hold his own. And one-on-ones to me of it really more solidified. I try to stay away from confirmation bias, but I came in knowing that he was good. And I came out saying, okay, I don't think he really changed that. He didn't to me, you know, do the type of thing where, I'm ready to you know, put him up at the top of the first round or anything. But I feel like right around where he's been, maybe late first, early second to me, sounds about right for a player like him. Interior line, you take into positional value, you take into the fact that he's a little bit versatile. And I start to say, okay, yeah, I think uh, maybe late first, early second's a good landing spot for him. We've seen guys like Zion Johnson that I've felt similarly about in the past, at the senior bowl. And I think that's, about where I would have him did well against good competition and it checks a lot of boxes for me. So I also, you know, don't want to drop him or anything. So that's about where I saw him going. Trey, that, that sounds like music to my ears, man. Late first as a Cowboys fan. Oh, give yeah. me, give me powers. Johnson at 24. I can see So, or you trade up in the second, you know, you might be able to get him in the first few first 10 picks in the second round. See, that's fascinating because like I listened to Dane Brugler and he's struggling to get him past 20 uh, with the folks that he's talking to. Right. Like he's looking at at Miami. I think Minnesota might be a fit as well. Here's me sitting at 24 praying for interior offensive line help. And I, I don't know if we're going to get it or not. Uh, I, I want to on that thought, I want to skip down in our notes to Tyler Guyton. Uh, offensive lineman out of Oklahoma. He's another guy that's been linked in that late first round. First of all, can you give me a comp for Guyton and, and then tell me a little bit about his game? What did you see? Because I heard I heard some mixed reports that he was doing some really good things and, and maybe other reps that, that he didn't necessarily stand out in. Yeah, to me, he was actually one that I I'd noted and I went back and I was watching the practice tape and I was kind of in the middle. I don't really see first round on him I actually thought his Oklahoma teammate actually did more uh, for himself to improve his draft stock here than Guyton did I think it, you say his last name Ryan uh, we talked to him he actually cut a great promo for our show actually I was and, and actually unwarranted he just, just saw the logo and just started saying it but yeah I actually let's see so we got Guyton we've got yeah Andrew Rame from Oklahoma I thought Ryan, I think, did a little better job improving his stock. He's made himself a draftable player, maybe going from like a very late end of the draft up a little higher, maybe sixth round-ish, maybe seventh, early seventh. But um, So Guyton, for example, to me, I just wasn't impressed. I will say, though, the D-line group was better on the American team. When you look at the competition, he would have had to face a couple of guys from Alabama. Chris Braswell was in there, for example, that – 
to me, I think has kind of fallen to early second. Didn't have a great week, uh, but still a good player. And Braden Fisk from Florida State was outstanding. And, of course, Tavondre Sweat from Texas is going to catch a lot of eyes. But to me, yeah, Guyton was one that I, I said firmly day two, and that's to me maybe mid to late second round. But I just – I don't see first round on him when you ask why. I think the tape is kind of speaking for itself. Got beat by some guys in the middle of getting overpowered a couple of times. I think it might have been Justin – I struggle with the last name. Uh, a Boygby, I want to say, from Alabama – um, that got him once or twice. And to me, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm just, I'm not sure I'm seeing first round and he's good enough to be second. I think the college tape shows that, but there were a few times I thought he got overpowered in practice. And that to me was the, okay, I'm not quite comfortable with that first round grade. Luke, jumping back to the wide receivers for just a second. I know it's probably the deepest position group of this draft. You know, you mentioned the number of guys that could go in the top 100, a guy like Malachi Corley, who I think diehard, maybe, you know, deep-rooted college football fans know that guy's name, but, you know, coming from a smaller school like Western Kentucky, Senior Bowl really gives him a chance to show out and show out against really good Power 5 competition. How did he stand out to you? Yeah, and, and it's not just the Senior Bowl that gives him a chance. Malachi gives himself a chance because of his demeanor. He's one that's very outgoing and – I wrote a story about him, hasn't been published yet, but just wrote something up about him last night because I thought he was one that really seized the opportunity. And yes, on the field, absolutely made plays, showed that he can be versatile. The big thing that he's battling, obviously, he's going to get knocked for being smaller. He's going to get knocked from being a small school guy, but he's also got to get himself out of the box of he's a gadget player or maybe a running back. And he talk to me about some of those things of people keep trying to pin him in or put him in a box. And this week for him was all about making sure that they couldn't do that after this week because of what the tape says. And for Malachi comes in, we talk about him being a standout guy. Yeah. Standout on the field for sure. You look at some of the tape that he's put out of the speed, I think is one thing that he's starting to show the miles per hour. He broke 20 at the senior bowl, for example, but he was pretty adamant. I talked to him about his combine times and he said, four, three, he said, I'm running a four, three. I said, okay. And I, I was like, you know, have you been doing that in practice or what are we talking about? And he's like, yeah, I've been, I've been hitting four, three. So he's put that on the record that that's where he's going to be. So we might have to, you know, the senior bowl, he was named the top receiver on the American team. And that's something that like, yeah, that was good. He stood out, but I don't think he's really caught people's eye yet. And if he is going to catch people's eye in a big way, I think it's going to be that combine time of if he does get the 4-3 like he says he will, it's going to start to get people rocketing him up the board. I'm I'm looking at day two for Malachi Corley. I'm thinking probably mid-second to early third, assuming, again, of course, with times, you know, and where things could end up. If he runs bad, then we're talking later in the third. Uh, but to me with Corley – an example of just who he is, he comes into the media day and most people are kind of wearing street clothes and black sweatsuits. There's not really a dress code. So you just dress how you want, but he comes in, you know, tight white t-shirt, couple of big chains, big smile, kind of greeting people as he walked in. So made himself a very outgoing type and talking to him. He was, he was there to spread a message and there to talk about, you know, cause he really didn't have a chance to, 
try to shape the narrative around him. I mean, over 3,000 yards receiving at Western Kentucky, still didn't get a ton of exposure on the national scale. So he was there to try to run PR for himself. And he's got, I want to say, his brother that helps manage him. And they're trying to, you know, get Malachi to that top level. So that was something that he stood out. He he definitely talked a big game and he was able to separate himself at the senior bowl. And to me, yeah, to put the number on it, I'm thinking picks number 45 to 65 is probably about the range for what I'm feeling on Malachi right now of just where he is. I know undersized, I know small school, but I I came away believing in him a bit more after this week. I mean, look at Tank Dell from last year, right? The yeah. guy that goes yeah. in a similar range. And, and he's not even flirting with a 4-3, and he sets the NFL on fire when he's healthy this year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the word versatile that you keep using, that's what's in demand right now, right? The the Debo Samuel-esque role, whether, you know, physicality maybe, depending, although I saw a clip of Corley throwing a DB at the top of his route, really just to kind of set the tone. It felt like, you know, he knew that was a chalked rep. He knew that was going to draw the flag, uh, and he didn't care. He was there to, as you m- mentioned, run PR for himself, set a message, and uh, kind of put the, the draft world on notice. I, I loved it. I loved watching the reps, watching his tape um, when I got to see that on Twitter. Uh, kind of last guy that I want to ask you before you uh, take a break, and then we'll move into Banker Tank. Darius Robinson, edge rusher out of Mizzou. Uh, a lot of Missouri fans that I'm friends with that you know I follow over on, on Twitter said we knew this was coming and Robinson kind of announced himself maybe to the the rest of the draft world this past week. What did you see from Robinson, and and is this a guy now that has some real sizzle around him maybe being a first-round edge rusher? Ooh, man. It's a good question with uh, what you put in there about first round at the end. See, I have to be careful with these Missouri fans. I'm still getting replies on a tweet six months ago that I had saying they'd win six games. Still getting replies on that, so I, (laughs) I better not make them mad here. Uh, but, uh, no, it, I mean, shoot, I'll be in my bathroom, like in the middle of the night and some Missouri fan tweets at me at 1am, like you thought we'd win six games. And I was like, hey, we had a miss our SEC preview too. So yeah, we missed two. I mean, I'm looking at it. I'm like, I thought I was being generous by giving y'all six games. Thank I think people do less. So, uh, so shoot, I guess I'll be careful here, but I, I, I'll just tell you what I think, obviously. So with Robinson, good pass rusher. I mean, lots of wins. It was one where at first I, I, I'd had him kind of circled somewhere as okay, this this could be somebody just because I'd you know heard his name or seen a few highlights and said okay, let's just see if if he's worth anything here of you know big time consideration. And then we were looking at I want to say it was day one and it was pass rush win. Okay, cool. Pass rush win again. Okay. Yeah. This guy's got some juice to him. And then you start to see it. Cause you know, O-line D line, they do kind of one-on-ones, but they also do the pass rush drill and the pass rush uh, for me is always interesting to watch off the edge and seeing how dynamic he was. I think one of the things we look for is that explosive first step. I know it's really cliche to say, but to me, I, it was one of those things where the explosion for all these guys was good, but it just seemed like he was getting off the ball better. And I test to me confirms what you're seeing on Twitter. Like, I mean, really just win, win, win in the pass rush. And I'm looking at it like, yeah. And, and the thing is late first round, I don't know if I see it yet. Personally, I understand the hype. I know that 
the senior bowl can blow some people up. And I try to kind of guard, even with Jackson Powers Johnson, you see me being more conservative than those people. And maybe that's a bad call. But um, with, yeah, with Robinson, I'm thinking probably, I think early seconds fair. I think mid second is kind of my feel on him, kind of 40s range in the overall side of things. But yeah, I mean, to me, he definitely helped himself out a lot. I try not to overhype and, you know, try to get into the lad McConkey's the greatest thing to ever touch the earth type of thing, even though he is really good. I think that is how some people felt after seeing Twitter uh, this past week, maybe Instagram too. Um, and the thing for me with Robinson, really good, helped his stock, good pass rush wins in the one-on-ones, but I'm still, I'm moving him up on my personal board to mid second round, but I'm not sure I'm willing to go much higher than early second on him. Hey, all right. Hey, I appreciate the honesty. That's why we have you on the show. It's that's your that's your draft grade, right? Like that's your evaluation. You're not taking what you're seeing on on Twitter, X, whatever, and letting that cloud your judgment. I I love that. Uh, own own your own your draft ranking, uh, because at the end of the day, like who knows how all of this works. So, I appreciate it. Uh, all right, Luke. Let's take our first break here. When we come back, let's do banker tank. Talk about those guys that made money this week, those guys that may need to save the image a little bit. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On the other side. All right. Well, we are back and we're talking with Luke Wenzel about the Senior Bowl, getting you guys ready for the NFL draft. It's coming up quicker than we think. It'll be here before we know it. And Luke, this is always a week where guys can raise their stock dramatically or, you know, unfortunately lower their stock dramatically. And we want to kind of play both sides of that here in this next segment. We're going to talk about banking and tanking. Who made some money this week and who might be sliding down the board after their time in Mobile? So we've got some players we want to highlight there. Where do you want to start with some guys that make made some money this week? I'll give I'll kind of hand it over to you. Who do you think stood out the most and maybe raised their stock the most this week in Mobile? Yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about the top 100 kind of guys. I know they steal the spotlight, but just for a minute before we get into some of those guys, Jarvis Brownlee from Louisville, the corner. I was a bit skeptical at first because I, you know, I walk around and I do kind of the, I call it a height check when we get on the field of I'll look around and kind of get on my toes and, and walk around a little bit. And I'll, I'll go try to find people to stand next to. If you're taller than me, I'm like, okay, good. You're, you know, you're up there. If you're shorter than me, if you're smaller than me in stature, uh, then I start to say, okay, maybe questionable. And Brownlee was one that, you know, he's a thinner guy and, and he's not super tall at corner. And I was, okay, you know, kind of an undrafted grade. 
And the reason I was looking at him is he made some plays on the first day. And I was like, huh, I wonder where he could stand. Where could he go? And then he made plays on the second day. I said, okay, I don't really care about your height. I don't really care about your weight. You're just beating good players here in one-on-ones. And then we get to the game and he has an interception and he's out there kind of, you know, being a dog, as they say, at the cornerback position. And now I'm looking at, okay, you know, was this a draftable player? Was this a seventh round guy, maybe sixth round guy? Now I'm looking at him as a solid day three projection. So in terms of making money, I think he's earned himself maybe a contract in general with what he's done in terms of that draftee contract compared to UDFA. And that was impressive the way that he never shied away from anybody and continued to beat some of these receivers. You take a look at, you know, on the American team, you had a lot of players from the University of Georgia. Lad McConkey absolutely made himself some money. I think I'm not comfortable putting him in the first round either personally. But ESPN had a mock draft today that had him at 33, and that shocked oh my me. I heard I people talking about leader, but my goodness. Yeah, I mean, he's good. He runs great routes and the whole the whole deal. I mean, you saw the highlights. I love it. But I'm not comfortable going that high. I'm still sitting like mid-second round on Lad McConkey, And the things to me, the injury history and – the physical traits. I know I probably sound like someone that hasn't watched him, but I promise you I've seen him in person probably close to 10 times now. And the thing with Lad is just the durability. I know smaller guys can be successful, but I just, I have those questions and I always will. And that's something that I, you know, I hope that things go really well for him and I hope he is a durable player, but that's something that I do think impacts his draft stock. And then there were some times you know, in the drills where he, there were, there were a couple of points, maybe seven on sevens where I felt like he wasn't getting a lot of separation. And I kind of wondered, I was like, maybe uh, at first I'd, I'd brought that up as a question. And then he came back the next period and maybe seemed a little more full go than he was. So I don't know if there were points where maybe he was on off throughout the practice, but I did think he had some moments where guys were able to kind of D up on him and get up on him. So that's something to me with Lad that super dynamic. This may be a terrible take, but I'm still I'm gonna sit middle of the second round, even though he did make a lot of money for himself this week. So he counts in this category. Tyke Smith from Georgia, I think, might have moved himself up around in terms of his performance and showing yes, he did a lot of stuff on tape in college and then showed that again at the senior bowl. So I think for people kind of confirms where they are on him. And, you know, there's a few others we'll talk about. Jamari Thrash from Louisville I thought was solid. Roman Wilson, I think, made some money this week. So just some names of guys that might make a – if I were to tweet like a Senior Bowl standouts list, those would be a decent number of those guys. It, it seemed like Thrash garnered a lot of Twitter headlines specifically for how badly he was beating some of the DBs on – on his reps, right? So uh, tell me about him. I mean, you know, he he certainly had flashes at Louisville. And, you know, when Louisville was was running hot, you're hearing Jamari Thrash, Thrash, Thrash. And then all of a sudden they go away. They kind of taper off down the stretch. And I feel like that, that media hype from the four-letter network kind of died away where a lot of, again, casuals are going, oh, uh, yeah, I've never heard of this guy. Yeah, Jamari was one that, I was lucky enough to cover back when he was at Troop County High School back in Georgia, West Georgia. And he's always had this ability. The thing that separates him is his ability to win deep. There's going to be times where you know 
that there's a deep route coming up or you can, you know, you figure that's coming as a DB. Still can't stop him. He's one that really quick footed. The one thing to me, there were a few drops that will be one of the knocks on him. He's not a big bodied guy. So if you're looking for that, uh, you might want someone else. But to me, when you look at Thrash, he's someone that, you know, the what he was able to do with body control, especially on deep balls, was something that I feel like he can't really teach. So that was something that I'd noted and kind of wrote down on a couple of throws. Or was like, wow, good body control. Things that I don't note very often about players. I think Travis Hunter, I've had a body control note on when I've watched him play. So he's got some of those rare traits or things that I don't get to see a ton personally. So that was one to me that we talk about the transfer portal. That was a really good transfer move going to Louisville because now you can't really question strength of competition quite as much on him. So to me, we're sitting toward probably top of the third round the way we are after the senior bowl. Maybe he can sneak up to the second, but that's one that I think he's solidified his spot in the top 100 with a really good week. Yeah. Love it. Um, Let me throw a DB at you and and maybe actually I've got a couple of DBs here on my list. Quinion Mitchell, cornerback out of Toledo, Max Melton, defensive back out of Rutgers, and then Javon Bullard, defensive back out of Georgia. You talked about Tyke Smith already. Uh, out of all three of those, uh, who you know added to their bank? What did you like from any of those three? And was there a a standout uh, from that trio? Yeah, Quinion Mitchell has just exploded in the draft world, and. The senior bowl hype after day one was just to the point where you're looking at a guy from Toledo that's having to get escorted in and out of the media events because they, there's just too many people that want to talk to him. They've got to escort him to the podium and escort him back and try to keep people away from him from Toledo. I mean, we don't see that very often. And that's an example of what the senior bowl can do for small school prospects. And he was one that clearly had, had been doing things at that level, but We talk about first impression and last impression and practice being the two most important things at the senior bowl. And his first impression was just brilliant. And one of the things that stands out to me is just the way he moves at corner, the way that when he's shadowing guys, you know, got eyes on the quarterback and he's backpedaling, he's just so smooth. And the way his hips are so fluid to me was one thing that he lined up a few times kind of right where we were standing. And he was the cornerback at the bottom, you know, sideline right in front of us. And, just getting to watch how fluid he is was one of those that, okay, I see why people think he's different. And that's one that the hype's moving him up toward the first round, if not into it. And that's one where I'm kind of bordering. I'm actually a decent bit willing to put him into that late first round kind of territory here. And that just, it's got a lot of rare traits at corner. And it's something that, you know, it doesn't really matter that he went to Toledo or it doesn't matter some of the stuff that people might knock, he's he's quieted a lot of those things very quickly. So I've been impressed. Luke, you started to see mock drafts that included him as cornerback one after yeah, day one right. at the senior bowl, which was which was wild. Let's not go that far. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, I can see first round. Like, I mean, I could see him as high as probably pick 20 right now. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know if I'm going CB1 here. That's the thing with, with senior bowl media, man. I get it. It's cool. At some points, like it can feel like a summer camp high in a way of yeah. like you're here with everybody that's somebody in the football yeah. world. And it's easy to let the emotions get to you. And I think I've done that in the past. I think my first year I absolutely did. And after that, I was like, 
all right, we got to grow from this. We can't be, we can't be watching one guy, you know, break up a couple of passes and then say that, you know, he's going in the top 10. So that's, that's the thing that I've gathered from it. And I, and that's the thing too, of when I say Quinion Mitchell's moved his way up to maybe 20, that to me means a lot. Cause I try not to say that about guys, especially right. just a couple of evaluations. And that to me, I try to reserve that kind of praise, but Mitchell to quantify him versus the other guys we've talked about, that was one that really just blew everybody away. Don't really care well, who you are. Well, to your point, 20 is typically at least nearing, if not the cutoff for true first round evaluations, right? Like no one that actually studies the draft is under the impression that you have 32 first round grades on guys, right? So typically you're going to have what, 17 to 20, 21, uh, you know, maybe 23, 24, if it's a really, really special year, true first round grades. So I think that hesitancy is like, you know, we got to kind of protect those anointed first round grades. I, yeah. I certainly appreciate it. Um, but boy, he, his tape, his tape looked good. There's something, something in the water down there in mobile. Y'all might need to start having some baptisms down there or something. Cause whew, it's getting everybody hot and bothered. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing of the the environment's really cool. It's the best networking event, I think, that, I mean, really as good as it gets outside of when you start getting to NFL events, draft, combine, Super Bowl, that's obviously a different league. But for people in terms of it being accessible to people, you know, like us, for example, that are kind of working our way up in media or for fans that just want to get close to players and be around it, this is that type of thing where, it's the event where you go and this is what you do. And then you go and you see Mike Tomlin, you're, you know, 10 feet away from Dabo Sweeney and these kinds of guys that are just these heroic figures in college or pro football. Mario Cristobal walks by and puts his sunglasses on and, and it just, it's a really cool feel. Really cool. That's awesome, man. Luke. So I know we've talked quarterback a little bit and I don't want to make this, you know, into the quarterback show, but got to give the people what they want a little bit as we, look into that kind of lower, not lower tier, but maybe second tier of quarterbacks. And Mitch, maybe we can use this to kind of transition from bank to taint because I think there were a lot of ups and downs for these four guys that we have listed here in our show doc. Uh, we've mentioned Michael Penix, we mentioned Bo Nix, but I want to throw Spencer Rattler and Sam Hartman in there as well. Lot, like I mentioned, lots of ups and downs for both of those guys. The quarterbacks obviously have the biggest microscope on them throughout this whole week. What were your takeaways for those four guys? Who's moving up? Who's moving down? Yeah. I mean, hey, you got to have good quarterbacks at the senior bowl because then if you start getting bad throws, you know, unfortunately some things like we saw from Joe Milton, then it's hard to evaluate receivers and DBs. Um, <laughs> had to. I mean, it's just one of those where you got to get good balls because then then you're able to run your seven-on-sevens appropriately um and, and that to was, the point i think a lot of people might have yeah. tuned out after they saw bo nix you know not hitting those throws early in the week that's kind of what went viral early yeah. in the week and then he turned it around and had a okay showing pretty decent showing on saturday yeah yeah i mean i'd, I'd even go to a, a good showing as well on the third day of practice for example um so you start working through quarterbacks i mean You've got a guy like Spencer Rattler that improved his stock. He didn't blow me away. I think part of it is the first impression to me. Day one of practice was not that good, and he finished off by throwing a pick at the end of it. And it 
it kind of ended with a sour taste in that way of you get toward the end of practice, you're going best on best. And, you know, you came away with that, but then you start to put that aside and say, okay, things get better and they get better and better throughout the week. Then he wins the MVP. And that's one that with Rattler, I'm still, I have a bit of a back and forth on whether he's a top 100 pick or not in this draft. That's what the battle is for me of, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, should he be a second rounder? I'm not close to that. Um, I'm looking at in South Carolina, I think, and that way he elevated their offense. And he was the type of guy that you knew coming in, for example, covering Clemson, even though South Carolina wasn't quite as good this year as they were the year before when they beat Clemson, you come in and say, Hey, it's, it's Spencer Rattler. Like he's got some juice to him. He can beat you. And he was able to elevate the South Carolina offense. So I don't take that lightly. I think he had some good receivers with him, but to me it was, he made people better and he made that offense work and he won them games. So you combine that with the fact that he's got some natural arm talent. There was a time where we thought he might be a QB one in this draft back a few years ago. It feels like a long time, but he does have some of those just natural abilities as a football thrower. I think to me, I look at, the processor, I look at day one, for example, a few throws that were off the mark because he was getting used to receivers, but he also showed the ability to get settled and not let it phase him. And a big focus for him in terms of the rhetoric around his media presence was talking about how he's matured and not just since the TV show when he was in high school, but even since that of in college of going from Oklahoma and then learning lessons at South Carolina and that approach to me is okay. I see what you're doing. I, I think you're doing the right things. You're saying the right things. And the overall product to me, some of the sharpness that we saw in the game on Saturday, for example, is enough for me to say, yeah, maybe, you know, 90 to a hundred is the range for me, but I'm not really bumping him up into the middle of the third round or above. So I'm thinking maybe late third, early fourth is where I sit on Rattler. And I don't see him as an NFL starter. I see him as a quality backup, kind of what I would think Desmond Ritter probably projects as in the NFL is someone that if he has to start games, if someone's hurt in front of him, you say good. But if he's your franchise quarterback, you're a little concerned. Uh, That's kind of how I feel about Rattler and his projection. So to me, that's a draftable player of mid-third round, to end of the third, maybe early, early fourth, you start to feel really good about that pick. But that to me is the range. So with Penix and Knicks, right, they've stolen the headlines all year long, the most electric offenses in college football. And then you get them into a pro style setting. And all of a sudden, a lot of those bandwagon folks that were just sure they were going to be leaders of the free world in the NFL are starting to see maybe maybe they were just in really, really good systems, right? And I mean, you're going to hear the stats for Bo Nix, right? I mean, throwing it, uh, what, five yards down the field. Like he he was the, the beneficiary of some yak gods uh, at Oregon. Penix could throw the deep ball, but when it comes to playing a pro-style defense like he did against Michigan, it felt like he was lost, confused, didn't know where that read was if they had his safety valve taken away. What did you see from each of those quarterbacks in Mobile, and did one of them kind of separate from the other? I think Penix did separate from Knicks a little bit, just with what we saw on the field. I think it was really more of a testament of 
Penix came out and there were some times where I didn't really notice him, which in a way is good because that means the balls were, you know, solid. He was getting it to the guys. He was doing his thing. Wasn't in the senior bowl. Sometimes you don't have a opportunity to make as many freakish plays as you may want to. There's a time for that. There's obviously the different drills, but in the general realm of practice, you know, balls are coming out strong and he's doing his thing and felt like he got into a groove pretty quickly as far as a senior bowl practice with new receivers can go. But for Knicks, he did start to catch some eyes of you'd see a ball and say, wait, what was that? You're like, who threw that? Oh, it was Knicks. Really? Huh? There were a few of those of like, he, he threw that. It was not what I was expecting. A couple of sideline routes, for example, Uh, there was one that he threw out to the far sideline and kind of popped it over a guy's head and it's that 10 yards downfield. And I was like, huh, Knicks. You know, I thought he was about 80% completion this year. And that was something that, I was like, oh, okay, you know, noted. We'll see what happens. We'll see how it progresses. And it's also something to manage, too, of, like, how much do you play? How much do you throw at these events when you've got these kinds of grades? So credit to both of them for coming out, for throwing, for doing their thing, especially in practices. But to me, Penix was the better guy. In terms of the draft, I feel more comfortable drafting Penix than Knicks at this point. I do – feel pretty good about both of them as quarterbacks, but Penix to me is late first and Knicks to me, I think has fallen from mid to late first consideration into now being more of a second round grade. And I'm looking at him maybe 35 to 40. If my team had a high second round pick and took Bo Nix, I'd be very happy. But into the first, if that's, if that's the top guy you're picking in a draft and it's you're hinging your future on that, I don't feel comfortable with Bo and I feel more comfortable that way with Michael Penix. So uh, yeah, that to me is, is where I am. Penix being somewhere in the twenties and the Knicks being somewhere in the thirties, maybe touching early forties. So I'm curious uh, with Penix, would you say QB four behind Williams, May and Daniels, or is there a case for him to be the third quarterback taken? I'm going to go four. Yeah, I think that feels about right. Yeah, I like Daniels. I mean, just the the explosiveness. Gamer. He's someone that would be a good fit in Atlanta if the Falcons were to do something. I don't know if they'd pick him, you know, right where they are. Um, but that would be if, you know, you don't trade up into the top three, that might be the type of guy you like to take there, for example, to put in a Atlanta kind of system. Even though that's changed. So <laughs> Yeah, say, now. What is the Atlanta system? Yeah, I was going to say, wait, a little different now. Now what that the Rams, Arthur yeah. end up again? He he got an OC job, didn't he? Which one? Who, where did Arthur end up? Oh did yeah, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. That's right. Pittsburgh. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, they they're not completely sold on Kenny Pickett, from what I understand. Oh, so. We'll see. Senior Bowl quarterback a couple of years ago. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Hand size. That was the big story of that week. Of. Yeah, that that uh, hand gate was certainly a <laughs> heck of a storyline. Uh, Trey, I know we've got two more players that I'm really curious to hear about, uh, a DB and a wide receiver who, speaking of hand gate, might not have measured up. Yeah. Uh, Luke, what can you tell us about Xavier Leggett? Because the, the, the height thing definitely went viral, but did he do anything to maybe ease those concerns? He was one that I watched, and I re-watched on the tape as well. And I was always going to be curious about him coming in just because of him being a South Carolina guy and some of the storylines around him and say, okay, you know, what are we looking at here? And day one, I don't, 
think he really had a very good day. I think there were some struggles with him trying to develop chemistry with the quarterbacks, maybe a miscommunication, a drop here and there. A couple of times where I was kind of curious of a ball ended up somewhere and it just seemed like things were a little off kilter. But then he came back on day two and I thought that's where he really showed what he's about of his ability to throw the ball up and he's going to go and pick it off somebody's helmet or he's going to go jump around a guy and find the ball and pull it in. So I thought it was a really good display of athleticism from him on day two and day three was just a little more of a continuation of that. So what I'm looking at with him is I just think a solid second round receiver. I'm not going to you know go over the top because this is a deep receiver class. I'm not going to go over the top and say first round, but I also just don't see him falling to the third. I just think the talent, the his body is very filled out as well. So I know obviously not as tall as we once thought uh, by the listings, but by two, by two and a half inches to be fair. <laughs> yeah, to be fair. Uh, but still, you know, not the kind of height that's a liability. And I think that when you look at the body, when you look at the explosiveness, the jumping ability, this is a guy that I think can really make big plays in the NFL. I think he can show some versatility. Um, so the thing to me is that is a very good second round picket receiver. Day one had me a little confused. I was like, oh, this doesn't really seem like him. But the way that he rebounded throughout the week and the way that he caught on, especially again on day two, was the thing that said, okay, I think he's solid second round pick. And, and that's where I feel. Well, tell us about uh, Kalen King, because he was a guy that we loved on our show in the lead up. We've seen him, you know, be really, really good and put a lot of good tape on the field when he's at Penn State, but not the best week for him. I, I promised a breakout season this year just for full wow. transparency and yeah. clearly did not get that. So please continue to just stomp <laughs> my heart. I wanted him to win so badly. Yeah, it was one where he seems like a bit of a gambler at times. Especially, well, at a lot of a lot of times at corner where he'll – you know, he'll take a bit of a gamble to jump a route or to put himself in certain positions. And this year, it just didn't seem to work out quite as much. Uh, for a little context on him, though, let's, I mean, let's take a look here at the receiver board because really this was loaded. National team receivers, Javon Baker from UCF, like a top, uh, probably fourth round kind of guy. Malachi Corley, we just talked about him. Tez Walker, probably a second rounder. I feel good about Tez. Uh, Brendan Rice from USC, he made himself some money this week, and he he was able to show off uh, a couple of impressive things. I saw a few route adjustments that was like, okay, yeah, it's Jerry Rice's son. Yep, that, you know, <laughs> I get that. Because he would – there would be a throw to him, a little off, but he'd make a perfect adjustment and get the body position correctly and then make a couple of highlight catches. Had one in the end zone on the right side of the field that to me was like, yeah, he's just moved up for sure. So I'm seeing him as maybe touching second round now as well. Um, Ricky Pearsall from Florida. We're talking about maybe a top 75 kind of guy there. Jacob Cowing from Arizona, maybe somewhere between 80 and 90. Roman Wilson uh, might have moved up, maybe a solid third round guy after this week to me, maybe even higher depending on how high you want to go on him. But day one, Roman Wilson might have been the winner of the skill position guys. So you've got Kalen King having to deal with all of that. You can't 
position yourself in line to try to not get one of these top guys. You're going to, you're going to get matched up. Not saying that he would do that, but I'm just saying that, yeah. you know, there's, there's no buys here. And then you start looking at guys that came into the week outside the top 100. You've got Luke McCaffrey. That's a whole different thing. Um, the tight ends, but he you know wouldn't have been dealing with them. So the whole receiver group, especially if you believe McCaffrey's up to his stock is probably going in the top 110 or top 115 on the national team. So, I think McCaffrey came into the week around 125. So that's what he's dealing with. So there were going to be losses in the one-on-ones. It was just he was going to get beat um, because he's kind of in line with those guys. I put him pretty even with a lot of the top 75, top 85 types of guys. But we knew there'd be some losses, but there were just all the losses a, a lot over and over. And to me, that was one where – one-on-ones is everyone's watching. There's, you know, it's just how it's going to be. That's where all the cameras start turning on and people start posting live. And, and that was the one to me where he's out there and everyone's loving Quinion Mitchell, who's on his DB group with him. And Quinion's able to defend these guys. And that I think is part of why he boosted his stock. If you look at who he's defending mm-hmm. and, uh, and you look at that. And then in comparison, like Kaylin King, you know, he's one of those guys that if you could come out of college football a year earlier, would have been maybe a first round, early second round guy last year, you know, at the latest in the second, but probably a solid first. And this year, it just seems like he just wasn't able to keep pace. So I look at one-on-ones and I say, you know, some people have dropped him out of their top 100s just totally. Well, he looks slow and he, and he looked like a boulder. Yeah, that that was the thing to me of the footwork and some of that was, I I think I noted that of just footwork of look into that like this didn't seem quite right. And, you know, I don't know what it was with him, but he just I had higher expectations as well. Yeah, you you and me both, man, you and and me both. Um, You know, let's just roll right into it. we'll, We'll conclude the show with this. So one one position group that you've talked a lot about is the wide receiver group. And as we kind of get everybody ready for the draft uh, and the mock draft season is, is upon us. Of course, we're about to start diving into some of that on the channel. I'm interested in two things. One, you kind of, you gave your rundown of quarterbacks, right? I mean, potentially you could see three quarterbacks go in the top eight. If the Falcons get plucky and, and go with, with Daniels, Maybe Penix goes then in the top 20. We'll see if Nick slides into the first round. But what I'm really curious is where do the wide receivers go? Because, I mean, you've mentioned it. This is such a deep wide receiver group, not only in the the top, you know, 50, but also in that third, fourth round contingent. It, It kind of feels like you could have a massive run on pass catchers. Sure could. And to me, this is a really good draft for a team like for example the Baltimore Ravens that could use a little more youth at the position guys coming up of you may not you may have other needs the way free agency could go for you and I think there's a few teams in this camp right now of you may not want to go receiver with your first round pick or may not be able to because of what's going on but this is one where you don't really care about that you're like oh okay yeah we'll we'll go get that you know linebacker we'll go get that o-lineman whatever you need and then you're going to sit and then second, third round. This is one where, you know, to me, I'm looking at if you're the Falcons, you want to draft maybe a quarterback in the first round. 
do what some teams do and then go quarterback, then go receiver. Go receiver second if you want to go receiver. Third round, you're good with that too. And that to me is the thing of a lot of these receivers, you've got your Marvin Harrison Jr. and your Adunze, for example, that are just such solidified first-round grade guys like you talked about. To me, I'm looking at – we named the national team guys, the American team. Um, Smith from Texas A&M, Aeneas, I want to say, his first name. He was one that I thought improved his stock this week, moving from maybe back into the top 100 to maybe uh, top 75, top 70 kind of guy. I thought he made some really good plays on the ball, a couple of plays downfield. So that was one that I came away. I was pretty impressed. Marcus Rosemey Jackson is one that you can get maybe in the fifth round or fourth round that – could be a solid producer, not a one or two guy, but someone that comes in and carves out a good NFL career. And you look at, I talked about Jamari Thrash, uh, Johnny Wilson from Florida State. Is he a tight end? Is he a receiver? Doesn't really matter to me because he's got really reliable hands. So it was very clear to me that there were some smaller, shiftier DBs that he went against and he still was able to get separation. So I just continue to be impressed by him. Lad McConkie, Xavier Leggett, like you're looking at all these guys that are available after the first round. I'm assuming McConkie will be available after the first round, which continues to show the riches of this draft here. And then you go tight end, you know, Jaheim Bell at South Carolina. That's a pass catcher that can serve in a bit of a receiver role. So these are guys that if I were a GM in the second, third, or even fourth round on some of these guys, I'm just overjoyed at how deep the draft is at this position position because the senior bowl has given these guys a chance to go out and and show what they can do against the top dbs and most of them were getting consistent wins so to me yeah you've got you've got a few probably maybe gosh i'm thinking about four guys that could go probably in the first round at receiver um let me see yeah i mean because you got to think about Brian Thomas, LSU. Let's see, Troy Franklin, neighbors. Yeah, maybe we're talking about five first round receivers here, depending on how you feel there. Um, and to me, I think there's probably 10 to 15 receivers in the second or third round that I'd be wow. very happy with getting in that position. Um, wow. Probably more toward 10, but even. I don't know. This is just such a good receiver class. I think this will this will help to kind of replenish the league at the position of who's next up, who's the next generation. I think we're going to look at this draft class as being that. And the depth of it, there's going to be, again, guys that are solid second-round picks. Brendan Rice could really continue to move up, and that's a name that we saw at the Senior Bowl that is continuing to edge his way up boards. And I just – the receiver group to me is what stood out. That was maybe the story coming in, but the story coming out to me was just how deep that position was. And yeah, I think you could probably have 10 of them at least in the second and third round that you feel happy about. That's my, my bolder take. Maybe that's, that's amazing. I, I'm excited to see it because listen, I, I love getting into the nitty gritty of the, the trenches, offensive line, defensive line, but every once in a while to have wide receivers and DBs fly off the board, especially this year, it's going to be, you know, a thinner running back group. You might, the debates are happening. Do you have a running back inside the top 50, even especially with Jonathan Brooks coming back from his ACL. So, you know, some of the, the flash on offense is solely going to be 
this wide receiver group and boy what a year it is for them to kind of pick up the slack and make make those storylines happen last question for me offense defensive line which group are you kind of more curious to see how the pieces fall in the first round I think I'm going to have to go offensive line here. And I think the thing to me of what we saw at the senior bowl was very interesting because a guy like Talise Fuaga, for example, came out and was just mauling people. And thank goodness they put him up against Leitu as well. And we got to see them go multiple times up against each other and practice one-on-one. It's like, thank you. Whoever arranged these rosters, really well done. Because you got us some good matchups that I think really showed what we needed to see. So uh, big ups to the senior bowl on that part, but he was able to beat late too. And they kind of went at it. Each of them had wins in their battles, but for Fuaga coming out, winning the first one. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, he might've been a first later first round guy coming in, but now we're talking about him, you know, being in use an NBA term lottery range, being that top 14 kind of deal. So to me, I think his movement up the board, we knew Latham was going to be good the whole time from Alabama, Mims from Georgia. That's stuff that we knew. Um, Guyton, to me, like I said, not quite a first-rounder. Powers Johnson probably you know, on the border first and second round. So those are a couple of guys that are kind of on the border to me that I saw at the Senior Bowl that I said, okay, we'll, uh, we'll see how things continue to go for them to see if they can solidify first round or be a really good value second-rounder. So seeing where that shakes out is a little more interesting to me than the D-line group because I think the edge guys, the pass rushers, have kind of sorted themselves out for the most part. Again, you know, Chris Braswell I think was not quite as impressive as we hoped. I think Leitu was about as good as we thought that he was going to be, and some people are saying he's the top edge guy now coming out of the senior bowl. I think that's a fair thing to say, but I the way that I would go about it would just be solidify a top 15 pick in the draft. And I feel like that's a little more sorted there in terms of the value and where we're seeing the defensive line guys. But O-line to me, there's a few more questions. And some of the questions even personally are, you know, are people feeling the way that I'm feeling about this? Or, you know, where are we going? Where do things start to trend? with some of this stuff. So I feel like I've got a little more distance between what I think and other people in terms of that O-line group more so. So that's kind of my feel. Cowboy fan, love hearing that. Would love <laughs> to have just a, a mauler show up at, at 24. Um, so that's yeah. great for us. Well, Luke, uh, certainly appreciate you jumping on, talking Senior Bowl, talking draft with us. Uh, on our way out, let the people know where they can find you. Yeah, on social media, and it's just at my oh, – there it is at my name at Luke Winstel, um, W I N S T E L is the last name and, uh, Twitter, Instagram. I'm even on Facebook now. I check that regularly so it can be found there. And that is pretty much it. Winstelmedia.com. I write for Clemson sports talk and excited to keep the content coming, whether it's Clemson or anything else. I have a bit of a reputation for uh, not being your typical beat guy that only posts about one team. I try to go and just Everything I see, if I see it, I say it. And I just kind of try to let people comment and, you know, put it out there and let people give their own thoughts, whether you like it or not. So uh, that's a bit of what I do on social media and just enjoy it. Oh, gosh, it's refreshing to hear that a, a beat writer is is back to just 
traditional journalism, doing it the right way. Luke, you're you're one of the greats, man. We're excited to to keep following you. Um, obviously, keep having you on the show. And uh, yeah, man, draft draft season is here. It's it's exciting. I'm sure we'll keep talking over on Twitter um, as this progresses. But that's gonna do it for this episode of the Three Technique. Appreciate y'all tuning in tonight. As he mentioned, go find him, follow him at Luke Winstell. Uh, to follow him on all of his social media. You can find us on our social media if you found us through YouTube, through Spotify, at 3TechPod on all of our handles. We would love to have you join the Jimmys and the Joes. For Trey Reeves, Luke Winstell, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for hanging out. Until next time, so long, everybody. Gracious, yeah. how about that?